Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here, just with another quick reminder to subscribe, if you would be so kind. Also, leave us a rating wherever you podcast. And as always, with any questions, comments or concerns, reach out. You can email me, egraney at postmedia.com, or I'm very easy to find on Twitter, at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journalist Politics Podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, June 22nd, 2018, and this is the Cabinet Shuffle to the Head of the Class edition. Thank you for your help with that title, Paula. <laughs> You're a, very welcome. What a woman. With me today, special guest Janet French, our education reporter. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for coming in on your day off to be after, on the podcast. After she's had a rather busy week. In my sweaty bicycle clothes. <laughs> but you look comfortable. In. I'm very comfortable. And we don't have a videographer today. Yeah. So. Use your imagination. <laughs> so Janet is actually dressed in a, in a tool ball gown with three-inch spike heels and your a tiara. Your hair is just beautiful. It's my Disney princess dress. <laughs> yes. Paula Simons, how are you? I really don't care, do you? No, <laughs> oh, I knew that was coming. And last week you were you were quoting um, somebody else last week. Well, last week I think I was quoting Leonard Cohen, I've no. Seen the Future and It's Murder, but I think Emma cut that out, so this is a joke no, lost before, on all of you. Before the podcast, you were quoting somebody else. Oh, a oh that's a couple of weeks ago I was quoting Samantha B. That's an entirely different topic. Anyway, Graham Thompson. Oh, what was the quote again? Graham. Okay, fine. Don't be feckless. How are you, oh. Graham? <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, weird weather this morning. I know that storm. It woke me up. It was sunny skies and I heard thunder, like blasts of thunder, and it was still sunny where I was. You know what's crazy? In Australia, we don't get morning thunderstorms. And so the first time I, I, I experienced one in Saskatchewan, I think it was, it freaked me right out because we just don't get them at home. And it's like, why is there a storm now? It's the apocalypse. Yeah, no, it was it was very end times this morning. I really did think that, you know, that Thor and Zeus were knocking <laughs> down the elm trees. You know, the elm trees in my street are going to go down for the LRT, but I thought maybe the thunder gods were getting a head start. Uh, there was a thunderstorm this morning. <laughs> Yes, Janet. Yes, it was. Also, uh, my legislative reporter colleague, Claire Clancy, will be joining us after Janet French leaves, because Janet French is here to talk about I gotta class go sizes. bike through the next thunderstorm. Yeah. Before then, class Super size. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Janet did an amazing deep dive into class sizes in Alberta. Spoiler alert, they're huge. So we're going to take a look at what Janet did and also the political implications of of what's happening in Alberta classrooms right now. And then, Janet, you may be excused, and we shall speak yeah. about the mini Thank cabinet you'll, shuffle. You'll, you'll get a whole pass. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do a press gallery shuffle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so the mini cabinet shuffle this week, uh, maybe a little bit about a certain attack ad, and we will briefly touch on a new program uh, for Indigenous training of government workers, which is a really cool program. So let's get started. Janet, you're in the hot seat. Now, you did... It took you a long time to write this series, right? Yeah, I mean, part of it part of it is just the bureaucratic wheels of two organizations, ours and, uh, you know, well, more than two, school boards organizations churning through the Freedom of Information request process. But uh, back in late December and January, I filed several Freedom of Information requests to public schools and Catholic schools in Edmonton, Calgary, and Red Deer. And uh, what I was looking for was not just the average class size, which is what is published for each school district and sometimes at the school level, but also like how large were classes getting and how large were academic classes and specific getting because, you know, you got like 
gym classes lumped in with you know strange options that only five kids take kind exactly of thing. and but, you've got yeah. different grades are lumped into those as well yeah right? exactly like they're they're broken down into like k through three grades four through six grade seven through nine in high school so um you know it's hard to tell if there's a demographic bulge in one subject or one grade we also asked for how how many and what proportion of the classes had 35 or more kids or 40 or more kids in one room we were also asking uh, how class size averages or how class sizes compare to what's called the ACOL guidelines, which stands for the Alberta Commission on Learning. Now, these are guidelines that were set in 2003, and they were done after a long study with this blue ribbon panel who looked at the research, talked to tons of parents and teachers, and came up um, with these sort of ideal class sizes, these goals, which should be that K to 3, those early years, should be 17 kids or less. Um, it's 23 for grades 4 through 6, then 25 and 27 for high school. Sorry, 25 for junior high, 27 for high school. Um, and so we also compared what proportion of classes in those six school districts were above that target. Because the average sometimes falls below the target, but something that the Auditor General said when he had a look at class sizes was that that average number obscures how many of the classes are above or below it. Yeah, he mentioned that when he bring up, when he brought out his Auditor General report into this, and we were asking him about that very that very topic. And he's like, well, you can't get a good idea about this from the from the average because he slammed the um, what they were doing right the classroom improvement funds was yeah. the issue he had so CSI. well it's the it's the, yeah the, it's the class size there's two funds to, to make things confusing there's a class size initiative which has been around since right, 2004 right. so that came about um, there was a teacher strike in 2002 class size issue and class composition was an issue then um, it was one of the things that was sort of an olive branch that they created this commission to study class sizes and other learning teaching conditions in order to placate some of the teachers. And so uh, so this sort of came out of that 2002 strike. And then there was a long pause. The, the commission recommended they spend like $500 million over five years to start fixing some of these problems. And the recommendations went way beyond class sizes. It was like, uh, you should have junior kindergarten in Alberta. You should have full day kindergarten in Alberta. Other pro- These are actually I think they accepted some of those um, recommendations, yeah, but never they accepted, acted on they them. They accepted full full day kindergarten, mm-hmm. as Corey Lewandowski <laughs> would say. Never <laughs> happened. Yeah, it, it happens very. It happens at school boards' own expense. They find right. the money or they raise the money yeah. for, for 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 vulnerable school, kids. Yeah. yeah. So from when I was reading through your series, the general overall impression I got was that Alberta class sizes are way bigger than they should be in a lot of instances. Yes, and it's it's Hooray! not. Uh, it's I mean, not, I win in my interpretation of your stories. You mathed correctly. I yes, mathed correctly. You mathed that correctly. never happened. I just math. I just verbed math. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, so yes, I mean, it doesn't not to say that all class sizes are extraordinary. I, we can't generalize to all of Alberta because right. the the cost became prohibitive. I would have liked. There's 61 school boards in Alberta. Um, the province doesn't collect or share this data in a central place meaningfully, unlike Ontario. Uh, and so it's really a, they don't collect that. <laughs> well, they may collect it, but they're not they're posting not it or sharing it. it. They say you got to ask the school board, right? So, uh, so we it became to the point where some of the school boards wanted more than a thousand dollars for this information, and so we kind of went, okay, we're willing to pay something, but a thousand is a lot of dollars. And so we sort of whittled it. We, I appealed, you know, to, you can appeal fees when they levy, when they try and levy fees when you file a Freedom of Information request. And I'm still going through that process trying to get some of that money back. Um, but we did pay Calgary Board of Education and Edmonton Public. We did pay some fees to get the data. Where am I going with this? <laughs> no, no. You so a question. Yeah, no. It, my my takeaway was class sizes are big. Oh, yeah, but they're big. There okay. hasn't, but it, 
when we asked uh, Education Minister David Egan about this this week, it seems like there's not a lot of plans necessarily to address this issue. Well, that is, he says he's on it this summer. So he was on the uh, 6.30 Chad yesterday talking about this as well and just kind of his message is getting slightly more... um, Active, more aggressive <laughs> each, in his message. No, I wouldn't say aggressive, right. but he's he's his the kind of the tone is is increasing a little bit. The urgency of the tone, like yes, we're looking at this this summer. Yes, we're going to respond to the auditor's recommendations. We've accept the auditor's recommendations. We're going to respond by June thirtieth, and we're going to work on a plan this summer. But he won't be specific at all about what kind of plan. So like. Do we need a class size cap? There's not a ton of appetite, I would say, even among the Alberta Teachers Association for for a class size cap. Some people are convinced that they don't work. Ontario has a very complicated class size cap system. It's different for different grades. It's different for different school districts. It changes depending on the year. And it also, uh, there's like a, there's a little release valve. Like you can have like 10% of the classes that are over the cap just for unique situations, demographic anomalies, and so on. Okay. Now, Graham, I know that you wrote a column here about the political reaction, which is more like a non-reaction. It's non-reaction. It's interesting. When I, f- I first saw the um, the series coming out on Monday from Janet, I thought, wow, a lot of work in here. Interesting. I'll, the information isn't readily available. And I thought, hmm, how are they going to react to this? Because it does go back almost 20 years. So if you Now, the NDP can say, no, we inherited this mess and we're doing the best we can, which is kind of what they're, they're sort of saying. Because this issue goes back almost 20 years. 2001, in fact, you had the election campaign with the ATA having billboards, class sizes. Yeah, and then the strike in very early 2002. In 2002, yes. It's a, a very bitter strike. So I thought, how will the UCP react to this? Because this is an issue that goes back to one of their legacy parties, the progressive conservatives. Mm-hmm. So did they want to bash you know, the NDP and then get drawn into basically bashing their their legacy party? But also... If they do come out and say, yeah, this is a, an issue, a problem, how are they going to address it? The question would be, okay, fine, it's a problem. Is it a problem? Yes, it is. How are you going to address it? They don't have an answer. And it means actually, in a sense, having to spend money. So you're seeing a lot of reaction from teachers and parents, but not from the politicians, not from school boards, because they, yeah, they're going to have to try and Can I just talk about it. the school boards for a second? So, yeah. so I just want to con- compare and contrast 2003 to 2018. So... Uh, in in 2003, school boards definitely had something to say about class sizes, and they were they were in a very similar boat. Like it would be hard to say it was exactly the same because the demographics of Alberta have changed since then. We've got a lot more kids who are identified as having disabilities, a lot more English language learners, so classes were more complex. So, is it okay to compare a 30 kid class today with a 30 kid class in 2003? I don't know. Anyway, uh, they they definitely had issues about class sizes then, and then chair of the Edmonton Public School Board, Sven Hansen, said in 2003, if I can get my phone to orient in the correct direction, thank you, technology. Ah! Really doesn't want to work. Yeah, no, okay, diagonal. I've got my head kind of tilted here. Um, This is Sven Hansen, who is the new chair of the Edmonton Public School Board. Uh, We don't believe that we can hang tough for a year and not have any an, an impact on the achievement of students, Sven Hansen said. It's not a good situation. And he goes on to basically say that the class sizes are unacceptable and um, they have to be reduced before students start faltering academically. Right. So that's 2003. That's 2003. That's Edmonton Public School Board Chair. 2003. Fast forward. <laughs> uh, this is what Michelle Draper, Chair of the Public School Board, said on Tuesday. It's not a complaint that we're getting. Yeah, she says, par- she says parents, parents and teachers aren't talking about it at all. You know, I, I have to say, I covered the teachers' strike in 2002, and I covered the Learning Commission. And there's 
a certain extent to which these class size recommendations were always a piece of political theater. I mean, I remember covering those those events. I remember covering the report. I remember talking to the people who were on the pan- expert panel. And they, they kind of came up with these targets and then said, okay, and we'll give the boards some funding to reach them. And it was always, frankly, fake. It was always fake. It was fake when the Klein government introduced them 15 years ago. Uh, but for a brief period of time, class sizes did go down. It did work. Like for four years, well, they in, yeah. ish they they invested three hundred and fifty million dollars over the first three years, and class sizes were below the targets in grade four to twelve. The that was average. by hiring more teachers. Yes, right? it was by hiring like twenty nine hundred more teachers in six years, um, and then for K to eight, they got the closest they ever did to the average of seventeen, which was I think eighteen point two. Sorry, Paula, continue. But part of the problem was, of course, where they started. <clears throat> Because what had happened was, in the wake of the teachers' strike, there was an imposed settlement on boards. Boards laid off a tremendous number of teachers. Class sizes skyrocketed and were, were worse than they'd been before the strike. And then La Loberg, who was the Minister of Learning at the time. Oh, just, <laughs> what a terrible name for a minister portfolio. Of learning, uh, <laughs> you know, like, wrote... <laughs> <laughs> She's going to need a moment. Just hang on. It was just terrible. Oh my God. Right. So then having created, having created the crisis, they then rode to the rescue and fixed it. Um, uh, you know, a strategy that we see politicians using to this day. Let's, you know, let's, let's make a huge problem and then we'll fix it. And then we'll get the credit for fixing the problem that we helped to create. There was so, a net gain, though. They lost 1,000 teachers in that first year after, the, after teachers' pay went up like 14-ish percent. And then they hired, over time, they hired back about 2,900 teachers. But, but the problem is that at the same time, Alberta's population exploded. Uh, as Janet said, we have many more English language learners. We have more identified First Nations kids. We have more kids with complicated learning disabilities who are mainstreamed into regular classes. And so it's crept up and up and up and up. I think one of the sad things when Merwin Sahar, our now former uh, Auditor General, did his report, one of the disturbing things was that the province was giving out this money, these CSI grants, you know, crime scene investigation, no, bum, bum. <laughs> class size initiative <laughs> grants, uh, without tracking to see what they were doing yeah. with them. And when Janet told me that some of the boards were not actually using that money to reduce class sizes, but were in fact using that money for completely different purposes, I found a lot of things about Janet's series disturbing. I found it disturbing that there are uh, classes for kids who are struggling with math and English at schools like East Glen with more than 40 kids in them. I found it disturbing that, is it a third of classes in that the Calgary Board yeah, of Education? Yeah, 32% of high school classes in the Calgary Board of Education have 35 or more kids in them. I mean, some of, the, some of these specific numbers are bananas. But what I found most disturbing of all is how hard it is to get this information. And the fact that school boards and provincial education departments, whatever you want to call them, are not being accountable for money that is spent. Education is a huge line item in the provincial budget. These school boards insist that they are autonomous. And if we cannot rely on them to provide information to the frontline consumers of education, to parents and to students, how do we know how that money is being spent? Just to follow, go back to the political reaction, the the UCP, I suspected, wasn't going to react, didn't really want to react to get caught in this. And Janet's been poking them and prodding them all week. They still haven't emailed me back. And I (laughs) poked and prodded. And I did get one line back from the UCP that said, one one line, one sentence saying, you know, a spokesman says, um, 
the NDP, I'm not quoting, basically it said the NDP spent a lot of money on health and education and doesn't get very good results. That's the extent of the reaction from the UCP because they do not want to get drawn into this because then you've got to say to them, okay, how do you, is, it, is this a problem? And if it is, how do you solve this problem? And they're not willing right now to give us anything on anything on a platform, but also they're not big on spending more money on anything. <laughs> they want to, as mentioned in my column, they want to cut the debt, cut the deficit, cut taxes, cut spending, but not about cutting the size of classes. It's not a big issue for them at all. And but the UCP think, doesn't you, have a policy on this either. So if, if they're, when well, you're asking for comment, they're like, oh, well, we don't. Well, we have, oh, sorry, we have no policy in anything. They, they, right now, they haven't yeah. got a policy platform, but they're not, they won't discuss this. Like, they're happy to bash the NDP on any given day. This one, if they start bashing the NDP, it causes more problems for but them. But there, there is a way into this for them if they had the brains God gave a goat. And it's a question of fiscal probity. I mean, if the money is being sent to the school boards and it's not being spent for the, sp- for the specific uh, enumerated purpose for which that money is hived off, if there's no accountability for how the money is spent, surely, even if you're a right-of-center party, if you have fiscal conservative values, you can mount an argument that the money is not being spent efficiently and effectively. To run away from this issue, as the UCP seems won't to do, to run away, run away when they don't have a thought-out answer to things, that's, I mean, how can you present yourself as a government-in-waiting if you, if you can't tackle one of the most fundamental issues of governance in this province. I'm super interested to see actually where this goes in the fall session, where they will come back into the House. And because the the NDP has already brought this up and has made a point of saying, well, all that the UCP would do is cut, 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 cut. And that's not going to solve the issue, is it? Because that's all they want to do is give a tax cut to the wealthy and blah, 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 blah. So I'm super interested to see what happens in the fall when question period begins again. And you just know the NDP is going to throw this at the UCP. I'm realizing that, you know, why did I write so many more stories about education in 2002, 2003? Maybe because we have a really kick-ass education reporter right now. But (laughs) why did I write those stories? Because when did my child enter the public school system? In 2001. (laughs) You know, my kid was in kindergarten when the teachers went on strike. My child was in grade two when we had the horrible downstream effects with the teacher layoffs and, and the giant class sizes. And so, of course, as a parent, I was very keenly engaged. Now the kid's done university. Uh, <laughs> so thanks, Edmonton Public School System and Edmonton Catholic School System, because she attended both over the years. Uh, but, you know, I was back at her Catholic high school uh, this spring. They invited me to come in and speak to incoming parents about how I, a heathen pagan person, uh, enjoyed sending my kid to Catholic school and what a great education she got there. Uh, and I was astonished. The school was packed I mean, they not only had the gymnasium packed, they had overflow classrooms with TV monitors to hear my speech. And it wasn't because of me. (laughs) It was because the competition to get into the school was that manic. I mean, we have way more kids. We have way more kids. And you can shuffle them around and say there are empty schools in the closer to the inner city core and we, you know, kids in the suburbs have to bust, whatever the answer is. But those schools fill up as fast as we build them. I was out in Windermere yesterday, and I saw Daniel Woodle School for the first time. I mean, it just opened, and it is full. And I, I was taking my parents to a medical appointment across the street, and the staff said they needed my, my license plate number because there's such overflow from the school that, that customers can't get into the building to shop or see the doctor. So 
you know, we, we have a reality here, and whoever our government is 18 months from now, they'd better have some kind of answer to deal with it. Sorry, one, one quick question, going back to the idea of, of money not being spent where it's supposed to be spent when it comes to class sizes. If they, school boards, is there a way of determining if they spent the money properly on class sizes? Would yes. It, would that solve the problem? No. Well, I don't think so, because, I mean, we're, like, if a teacher, so, for example, the Alberta Teacher right. Association says, in order to get to the ratio that we were at in 2007, when they were most satisfied with class sizes, Alberta would need to hire 2,193 teachers today. Right. Ele- and, element and, number uh, one. And the yeah. cost of that is? And the cost of that is to, what did I say it was, $200 million That's or right. something? Yeah, Okay, so actually they spent, they spent $293 million on the class size initiative this year. But, I mean, most school boards would tell you that most of it is going to reduce class sizes. Right, and so my point being, though, if, if the UCP came out and we went to a news conference and they said, if they just spent the money where it's supposed to be spent, it helped the problem, but we get back at them and saying, it's not helping the problem, there's not, there's not enough money in the system, and it would still go back to what would you do about actually solving the problem. So I can see the NDP trying to massage this in the fall. The problem is the NDP's had a heck of a time with this issue, too. That's true. Yeah, Maybe they'll just ignore it, Janet. Maybe. Oh, but they're, can I just... they're trying to ignore it right now. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I feel like we've we've pulled Egan out of the woodwork a little bit on, on this one. You know, he's had a couple of radio spots and anyway. Uh, the other issue is is space, right? I mean, yeah. so yeah. Edmonton Public is a particular pinch point. Um, they're projecting, they did get an announcement for one new high school. They need two more sort of like now-ish. Um, otherwise, the year that my child goes to high school, which is 2025, uh, there will be 8,000 more kids than there is room for in public schools if you used every spot available. Right. So the issue here comes back to money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with the last time the Edmonton Public School District was in to speak to our editorial board, they were talking about sending kids to high school in shifts so that you'd have a day shift and an evening shift to accommodate the number of kids. And they were spinning that as, isn't that great? It would be so much more flexible, and then kids could have jobs during the day, and... <laughs> and not play on the sports teams wow. in the after school. Or, yeah, yeah, I mean, some, something tells me that that is not going to be a palatable option for I've most parents. I've seen that happen in one one area in Lebanon. I was there doing stories on kids, the refugees yeah, right. coming, somebody that were coming across the border. That the, the Lebanese school board system was trying to do two shifts to have local kids in the morning and have the Syrian refugee, refugee kids in the afternoon. And it just means it, just, it was a nightmare, and the teachers were working exceptionally long hours to try and teach these kids. Yeah. This is not something you do in a country where things are supposed to be working. You do it in a country that's overwhelmed with Syrian refugees. Yeah. All right, guys, we have to wrap this up and move along. Let, Janet, let Claire back into the room. <laughs> Janet, so much class. Janet, thank talk. you so, so much for joining us. We, we, really don't welcome. we don't have enough chairs in this classroom for Claire to come. No, we don't. We haven't, we haven't Sorry, Claire, you're going to sit on the floor today. <laughs> Thanks again, Janet, and we'll speak to you again My soon. My pleasure. Clancy, welcome back. Hello. Thanks for having me. My fellow legislative reporter, you just tag teamed out with Janet French. Fun times. <laughs> so tap in, tap out. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's it's basically like you know high school in shifts. Yeah, just like in Lebanon. Um, this, all right, this is what you missed when you were out <laughs> yeah. all yeah, I'm sad we I missed Lebanon. the beginning. <laughs> um, so I want to move on to the tiny wee little mini cabinet shuffle that happened this week. Cha cha cha. 
<laughs> that was about the extent of it. Cha cha cha, and that's it. So we have uh, backbencher Brian Malkinson, the MLA for Calgary Curry, has been made the Minister for Service Alberta, and that's, uh, that's his reward for getting his private members. I guess he wasn't a private members bill; he, he became a real bill. But he's been he's right. been doing he's been doing a lot of work for a backbencher. Apparently, he does work very very hard. Yes, he's also a large fan of wiener dogs and has a great collection of suits. Uh, so he is now the Service Alberta Minister, and Danielle Larravee, the Children's Services Minister, has taken on the additional portfolio of Minister of Status of Women. Now, this is because um, another Calgary MLA, Stephanie McLean, who had Service Alberta and the Women's Ministry is not running in 2019. She's going back to her law career. So they went, well, no, you uh, lose your portfolio, I, I suppose. And, um, you know, thanks for thanks for everything. And also Brandy Payne, who is not running again either, also from Calgary. She wants to spend more time with her family and she's the associate or was the associate health minister. Now that associate position, which basically just deals with addiction issues and, and things like that. Um, she was the, the point person on fentanyl and all those kinds of things and uh, supervised injection rooms, uh, sites rather. So she has, that associate um, portfolio has been eliminated and the work rolled back into the general health portfolio so, under Sarah Hoffman. So here's here's the politically incorrect question. I mean, especially this week when New Zealand's prime minister just gave birth to a baby and all. I mean, it is, as a working mother myself, I, I was really torn when Brandy Payne and Stephanie McLean had babies and then went right back to being cabinet ministers. It is hard. It is hard to be a new mum and a cabinet minister at the same time. And I'm wondering, I mean, they're, they're not running again next year, but did they also ask, do you think, to have their portfolios? I don't think they would have asked, honestly. Like, I think it's just a, a reality of the situation is it's a year out from the election. You're not running again. Why, why not put an MLA there? Who can get is. more experience ahead of the election, too. Yeah, and also use it to bolster your chances of getting re-elected if you're a minister. I mean, that's kind of the way of thinking, Graham, right? Absolutely. I think that uh, they want to uh, groom people like Brian Malkinson, and I've written about this before. And the interesting thing is, a couple of years ago, I was doing a story about how little bench strength <laughs> the NDP had to put into cabinet. And I mentioned Brian Malkinson's example of, <laughs> of someone who's really done nothing as an MLA. Of course, he's done a lot more since then. <laughs> Uh, Your column made the difference. There we go. Well, actually, he actually wrote, I didn't realize until recently, he actually wrote a letter to the editor. It was, it, was, it was a very nice letter. He wasn't attacking me. He was just saying, look, this is a government that gives people like me, a mechanic, a chance to excel and do wonderful things. Anyway, um, yeah, the, the thing is, you got two people who are not running again, both in Calgary. And, of course, it's interesting, both uh, mothers of young, young children. And it's, it's interesting, even though the premier's done a lot, all she can really in a lot of ways to try and, make the government more inviting to mothers of small children, it's still it's a really tough job to try and do both. And so I think that this, they're, they're both stepping down. You've got a problem in Calgary. You've got to try and fill some of those holes. And you bring somebody in who's young to, to groom him and see how he does before the next election. This is a government that right now is in major trouble in many fronts, especially in Calgary. They've lost three people, all women in Calgary. Two have announced they're were, they were not running again. One joined the Alberta, um, Alberta Party. So this is a, a government that's trying to find ways to get people bumped up. But the problem they're having right now and they've had for the last couple of years is their bench strength, especially in Calgary, is especially weak. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned Graham, that, that notion of, like, I, I suppose, giving birth while in cabinet. <laughs> I don't mean in the room or the table, um, <laughs> but while you have that portfolio. I'm never going to be able to get that image into my mind. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Justice Minister and Attorney General Kathleen Ganley. So she um, also gave birth and uh, her husband actually has taken leave from work and you often see him wandering around the ledge with the baby just hanging out. I, it's been cool to see how she kind of manages it. Like at committee meetings, she'll take a little extra time so that she can breastfeed and take a break and stuff. I mean, it can be done, but you need to have an amazing support structure. Yeah. Uh, you know, a spouse or partner is very handy. Uh, you know, uh, paid help is very handy. An extended family is very handy. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's 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 a lot to ask to be a role model for everybody else and to be able to pull that off. This is interesting too, because so for the first time, the number of men outnumber the number of women in the Alberta NDP cabinet. So Notley was asked about that because, of course, gender parity has been a, a thing that they talk about a lot. Um, and she said, well, I think that we can stand on our record, which is, quote, the best in Canada uh, when it comes to appointing women and um, uh, improving things for women in Alberta. But it's the first time that they've... That they've yeah, I'm not fussed about that. No, I mean, it's, I, it's relatively equal. The thing is, again, you go back to who else were they going to promote? They've got to do it from Calgary. They've lost two people from Calgary. You get to fill it yeah. from Calgary. Who are you going to promote? Um, they were so happy to get Sandra Jansen to cross yeah. the floor, um, and you, know, you could tell right away they were itching to get her into cabinet after she crossed the floor to from the uh, PCs to the NDP. They couldn't do it right away because it did really irritate people in the in the caucus who are true blue or true orange <laughs> members of the party. So they waited and they put Jansen in there. The problem still is who else are you going to put in there from Calgary? Yep. I want to switch gears to um, this new Indigenous training program. Clancy, you wrote about this. It seems pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting because I think Alberta is the first province really to roll out something like this uh, from what I've heard. Um, but uh, basically over the next three years, the government's going to be training 27,000 public servants. It's a six-hour training program on Indigenous culture and history, and it's supposed to um, address uh, one of the TRC recommendations which was to provide all public servants with uh, some kind of background training um, and it's also in line with the government of Alberta's commitment to the um, United Nations Declaration on Indigenous Peoples. Um, but what I think is, yeah, what's really interesting about it is that it's, you know, this is something that was promised in 2016. It's taken a really long time for the government to roll out because apparently they were um, doing consultations and it took longer than expected it to do that, as is the story we've heard with many, many issues. Um, but uh, yeah, so they finally announced it, six hours, and I think we'll see, I guess, if it makes a difference in terms of Indigenous representation or how uh, people talk about Indigenous issues in government. Another thing that ran late, the racism report. The racism report, which is coming out next week. Um, Allegedly. On June 27th. <laughs> yeah, and this, so this report was... Uh, Premier Rachel Notley directed Education Minister David Agin to um, write a report about how to make Alberta more inclusive. Um, it kind of followed on the heels of a bunch of different things that had happened. So the the fall before she she asked for that in 2017 in June, we had had the horrific uh, Quebec mosque shooting. And then in Alberta, uh, statistics were showing that there was a, an increase in hate crime 
uh, with the latest stats from Statistics Canada. So there had been a few things that had been the impetus for that. And um, basically, uh, Agen has been talking to community organizations over the last year. We thought we'd see the report in fall 2017, and now it's finally going to be out next week. So it'll be interesting to see if there are any kind of um, like any funding tied to that or any actions. Uh, I, I've been told it's going to coincide with a couple of announcements, but we don't really know what that will mean yet. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's funny because there was back back long before long before you guys were in Alberta, um, uh, there was a guy named Jim Keekstra who was an anti-Semite who taught Jewish conspiracy theories in his high school classroom in Eckville, Alberta. And in the wake of that and some other really, really ugly anti-Semitic uh, uh, white supremacist incidents, they struck what they called the Committee on Tolerance and Understanding. Uh, oh, Alberta. Uh, <laughs> so they had this committee, this giant committee on tolerance and understanding, and it said we should be more tolerant and more understanding. <laughs> Uh, that's some good good recommendations, committee. <laughs> you know, but it Solid. but it's sort of it. It was political theater, but it was kind of uh, it was more performative, and you, you got sort of more public input into it. This one has been much more quiet. I don't, you know, I don't recall the kind of public consultations of this one being the same as. Ron Gitter's Tolerance and Understanding Committee? Well, apparently they've had um, consultations across Alberta with community organizations, but I talked to one um, person in Edmonton who is uh, like Bashir Mohammed, who's talked about policing issues and carding um, with Black Lives Matters, and I talked to him about um, what it was like to be at the consultation session, and he said they didn't go into topics in depth. He said he felt like the conversation was diluted. Um, so his kind of he basically said, I hope the other ones went better than the way that the one I was at went. Because I think unless I mean, I hope to see some actions tied to it, because obviously, if it's a report on recommendations without any um, initiatives to create some kind of change, then what was the point of it? Yeah, it becomes like every other government report that just ends up sitting there and gathering dust. Now, we don't have much time left, but Paula, you wanted to talk about an attack ad. I just the NDP put out this cartoon ad about Jason Kenney. I think he's supposed to be a football player. Hockey player, maybe? Uh, hockey player. I mean, it's, it's really it's really odd. Like, Sports ball. It's some, he's some kind of athlete, which is... Like, I, what? Sorry? I mean, it's just bad. It is clumsy, bad, laughable. I, and I'm not saying this because I think people should be nicer to Jason Kenney. I'm not saying this because I think attack ads are unfair. I'm saying this because this is a really incompetent piece of political advertising, and everybody should go watch instead that amazing <laughs> ad from that uh, woman who's running oh, for yeah, Congress really in Texas, who's uh, you know a former helicopter pilot and an MBA, and has that's actually my my good stuff. All right, well then I will okay. stop now. This is a great so I just, segue. I just, I just wanted to say bad ad. <laughs> this is a good segue then. Let's uh, move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've seen or heard or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Graham, because you just jumped well, in yeah. there, let's and I kick feel it like off. I've got to, I've, I know I, in a sense, got this I got it from, from Paula. You tweeted it, retweeted it yesterday. It's a great ad, and it's um, it's uh, MJ Hager for Texas, and that's um, it's entitled, it's an ad, it's entitled, Why Am I Running for Congress Against a Tea Party Republican in Texas? It all started with a door. It is an immensely clever ad. And I, it, it is, you know, it doesn't matter where you stand on the political spectrum, it's really well done. Yeah, it's and just a slick, slick piece of is. political and marketing. Thought, you're right, in terms of the two extremes, the NDP in Alberta does this cartoon, cartoonish in all levels, all sense of the word cartoonish ad. And you have this really well done, very moving ad 
you actually want to move to Texas just to vote for her. But it's, it's so, well it's so yeah. clever. At one point, she's telling you about, oh yeah, I was a, you know, I was rescuing people in my helicopter, and then another, uh, my, our, our helicopter was shot down. Another helicopter came to get us. I had to lash myself to like the, the bottom the, the of the skid. helicopter, yeah. to the skids of the helicopter, and return fire. <laughs> and then you see her holding her baby in one hand and a toy helicopter yeah. in the other. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's amazing. It, it's it is an amazing. It ad. is a slick, slick, slick piece of merchandise. Paula, what do you have for us this week? Uh, I'm going to suggest a column from Doug Saunders. A column, great columnist with the Globe and Mail, who uh, is talking about do does the world in fact face a migrant crisis? And he makes an argument that I've not seen anybody making up until now uh, that actually immigration on America's southern border is at historically low levels. He says that that cr- border crossings are lower now than they've been since the 1970s, and and you know. And it made me realize how much, even though I've been appalled at all of Trump's policies. At some basic level, they were working to convince me that that there was an imminent crisis, and that they were, I just thought they were handling it badly. But Saunders breaks down the numbers to show that in fact the crisis is manufactured. It's not just that, you know that they're taking babies and putting them in cages, uh, but that in fact they're that that this is a whipped up hysterical response to historically low numbers that are lower than they've been in generations. Yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty standard thing in politics. Australia does that all the time. And we like to throw immigrants into prisons as well in Australia, including children, because we're a terrible nation. So everyone should be outraged at Australia and should have been for decades. But you're not. You should go read up on that. Oh. <sighs> Um, I'm going to recommend you all read Janet French's piece. Obviously, her series was just amazing. But um, further to Paula, what Paula was speaking about in terms of immigration, uh, the Texas Tribune has been doing really amazing coverage of the child immigrant crisis. Um, there was one piece that really stuck with me. Um, it details the places in which these kids are kept and the amount of health and safety uh, complaints that so there have so been. So they're for-profit private companies. Exactly. And they're looking after the kids. So there was like, you know, one kid had a broken wrist and had to wait three days for medical care. One kid had a sexually transmitted disease and had to wait two weeks before they could see a doctor because these are for-profit centers. So they've been doing some amazing work. I'm going to post that particular article. Clancy, take us home. Um, I'm going to jump in and recommend something as well related to uh, the immigration crisis in the U.S. Um, Radio Lab did amazing work on three episodes called the Border Trilogy um, a few months ago, and it's I've recommended Radio Lab episodes before, but it's really astonishing the amount of reporting they put into this, and it follows it follows one family um, who lost someone going through the Sonoro Desert, and it's about crossing through the desert mainly, and um, just how how dangerous it is, how often people die, and how um, like a team of archaeologists have actually started to go collect belongings from people to try to find out who the people are who die, and often no one knows who they were because their bodies decompose without anyone knowing um, the thousands of people crossing the desert. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Janet French, who is probably on her bicycle on the way home, Claire Clancy, Paula Simons and Graham Thompson. This will be my last week as host for a few weeks. I'm going on a cross-country road trip to celebrate being a Canadian citizen. My husband and I are going to be in Ottawa for our first Canada Day as Canadians, so it's pretty exciting. If you have any tips about where we should stop along the way between Edmonton and Quebec City, please do tweet me at Emma L. Graney because I probably won't be checking my work emails, uh, but I will take tips off the Twitter box. Join us again this time next week. Someone else will be in the hot host chair for more discussions about Alberta politics. I don't know who it is yet. That'll be a surprise. Surprise! Tune in next week to find out on the Press Gallery.